Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. Under assault by a killer pandemic and crushed by public health response, it has become the mantra of the moment. We are all in this together. While this statement is heartfelt, do governmental actions in the battle against COVID-19 match the sentiment when it comes to vaping in America? The U.S. vaping industry has certainly stepped up in its time of need by manufacturing hand sanitizers, delivering masks, and servicing customers who rely on vaping as a safer alternative to smoking. Yet the assault on vaping continues. As if stay-at-home orders and a national economic shutdown are not enough to devastate the U.S. vaping industry, flavor bans continue to wreak havoc and threaten lives across the country. Now joining us today to talk about the state of affairs of vaping in America is Tony Abood, the executive director at the Vapor Technology Association, the leading lobby group for the U.S. vaping industry. Tony, thanks for coming back on the show. Brian, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And congratulations on your 300th show, I believe it is. We haven't been making too much of a big deal about that, but thank you very much. It is number 300. So uh, good show to have you on. In fact, it is an important time for vaping with COVID yes. and all. And it's quite a contrast from the last time you were on RegWatch, which was just days after the meeting with President Trump at the White House. Now then, prospects kind of took up a little bit there in 2019 after E-Valley. They seem to be looking good. Are they as bad today as they seem? Well, let me first start by saying um, that we obviously are living in very, very difficult times. There's no question about that. COVID-19 has changed everything. Uh, there is no new normal, uh, and we haven't quite figured out what that new normal uh, is going to look like uh, quite yet. But uh, I, the first thing I do want to say is that uh, I hope that uh, all of those people who are listening are, are taking this very seriously, that they're staying at home to the extent that they can, that they are taking the appropriate precautions. Uh, it is so important that uh, we truly all work in the same direction and pull in the same direction here uh, because we see that our actions do have an impact on the public health and our own well-being. Uh, and there's so many of us that are, have given so much uh, to protecting the public health in this industry that um, you know we wanna make sure that uh, we're doing everything that we can to, to ensure not only the safety of our own families, which are obviously very important, but all those uh, that we might um, otherwise come in contact with, even if socially distant contact. So what has the vaping industry been doing, you know, at shop level, you know, regionally? It has there, what, you know, I know that the push for essential services was on, but then there was also obviously the, the hand sanitizers and mask deliveries and so forth. Has there been a real big effort to kind of demonstrate to the public that they're a part of the community? There, there has been, and that has been what has been so heartwarming. It was really organic, right? Um, and the companies have just automatically figured out that they are going to step up and do what's uh, going to be helpful and, and contribute to the solving in, uh, this crisis rather than uh, uh, doing nothing. And I think that what that is just one of the reasons that I'm optimistic. Uh, to go back to your initial question, uh, this industry offers so much to the public in general, uh, but most importantly to smokers at, at large. And uh, that is what is at the core of, of, of the companies that are part of this industry and driving not only uh, the industry, but the message about tobacco harm reduction forward. We have the ability now um, to truly impact uh, people's lives. Uh, this product has gained in acceptance. Uh, and it has gained in sophistication over the course of the last many years. And because of that, um, smokers, and smokers and former smokers have been relying upon uh, vapor products to stay away from cigarettes. And that's now more important than ever, given the pandemic that uh, is confronting everybody. Uh, but optimism is, is something that I think comes um, from just having been through uh, a, a lot of challenges and, and knowing that when companies pull together and industries pull together and do the right thing, that we can be successful. And part of that optimism that I have in terms of where we are today, um, not on a personal level or on an individual company level, but really it comes from, from the fact that we fought one of the biggest fights we've ever been confronted with in the fall, Brent, and we won. That there's just no two ways around it. We, we, we were successful. That success, though, came at an enormous cost. Uh, but fortunately, we were in a position as an association to step up, take on those challenges, and put together a strategy from September 11, when the president first announced that he was going to ban all flavors uh, in the country. 
to November 11 when he announced that actually he was going to have a meeting. And as you alluded to earlier, I was happy to chat with you about that meeting and what took place before that meeting. But because we went through that crisis, because we lived through that crisis and fought through that crisis as an industry, we now have an ability to kind of build off that messaging. We were right back then. At the time, people were saying that vapor products are causing Evali, right? And what we knew to be true and what we got the message out on uh, was the fact that the products that were at issue were these black market products and the THC products. And we, despite all of the cacophony of voices that were attacking us and tying us to illnesses and tying us to deaths, uh, and nicotine vaping specifically, um, we survived that onslaught. Uh, and and we fought back and we executed a strategy and we, we, we came out, I believe, on top. And I think that what is so exciting about the future is that that whole debate, that whole fight has placed us in a position of being able to advocate in ways that perhaps we would not have been able to before, to be able to advocate on levels that we would not have been able to before, because frankly, the president of the United States and the health leaders in his government now know full well the impact of vaping and now know full well the, the positive and uh, attributes that this product has, and more importantly, or as importantly, the positive attributes that this industry has. So it doesn't surprise me one bit, frankly, that companies in this industry stepped up to convert from making e-liquids to making hand sanitizer and distributing it to first responders around the country, distributing it to hospitals in bulk, creating more supply, even selling it. So we right. have people donating, we have people selling it, but we are using our industry uh, to repurpose itself to be a part of the solution. And I believe we're gonna be part of the larger public health solution going forward. So Tony, one of the key indicators that we look for here at RegWatch when we're watching the US and we're watching Canada is mm -hmm. the amount of uptick that happens with the provinces of the state designating vaping as an essential service. Because I think that obviously some wins happen in some jurisdictions and so forth, but still you get down to the ground and there's still a really bad attitude towards vaping, a really, you know, it's been stigmatized, isolated, um, and it, we see that continuing. So was there, a, a, you know, a lot of states that have actually granted vaping as an essential service? What was that battle like, or was there even a battle to fight for that? So there, there, is, there are just a few states that are, uh, whether they deem them essential or have just tr treated them as essential, uh, have, have allowed shops to stay open. But one of the things that this issue underscores is um, we've gone through battles in, in D.C. And at, and at the states where, for example, uh, they wanted to cut off online sales. Take that as an example. Well, we've now seen in the midst of a pandemic the importance of online sales and being able to access products uh, um, from wherever you are in, in the country. And uh, I think that this whole COVID-19 pandemic is reshaping the way in which we need to think about our business, but also the way in which um, um, politicians and the policymakers and regulators are going to be thinking about, uh, about uh, our product. And one of the reasons is because, of course, uh, this ongoing discussion now that we're going to be having about the role that vaping plays, if any, um, uh, with respect to COVID-19. And we were happy to see the FDA come out recently and make it clear that there is no evidence that vaping contributes to COVID-19. We were happy to see that the American Cancer Society uh, has done the same thing. So once again, having been right on this issue in the fall, we obviously are mindful about what we say and how we say it, and, make, and we don't jump to conclusions like the other side does. Um, but I believe that that is going to put us in an even stronger position going forward. Yeah, and you know, I, what I want to do, and I want to make sure that how you and I are structuring our conversation today, it doesn't seem to be that we're trying to get you or anything like that, because I want to be able to throw up some stuff that you know might be you know, contrary to what you're saying, but I want everybody to know it's not an interview technique to do something, right? It's I want a conversation here. Because yeah. the interesting thing about the FDA is that Okay, they did, you know, back off, but they backed off of a statement that got a massive amount of media attention 
and then they come out the next day and, and back off of it, and then that doesn't get any media attention. And you know, and so that's I'm, I'm going to show. Uh, we've got them up here on RegWatch, and I'll put them up here in a second when, when you're talking. But I want you to to talk about that. Here's sure. the difference. I'm not saying address that because that would be you know me putting it to you instead of conversation. It was like, you know, I mean, it's one thing to say that yes, that's good that FDA you know, comes out and clears the air a little bit. But after they do all the damage the day before, the way the media is here, I just don't know if it even matters that they take it back. So I think, I think look, it does matter because much as was, was the case in the fall, when public health groups such as American Cancer Society and FDA, even though they came out and said something that was inarticulate, uh, they took the heat for it, um, uh, and they they modified their statement, and since then that same media outlet has run uh, kind of their clarified statement. Part of it is it's incumbent upon us uh, to uh, to make sure that that message is heard loud and clear. And um, so, but if we don't have public health groups making those statements uh, in our defense uh, in the first instance, then um, it's much easier for the opponents to attack us. So yes, I think it was extremely unfortunate that the statement that was provided was provided in the way that it was provided mm -hmm. in the form of an email uh, and also without any sort of reference to the relative harms of smoking versus vaping. But we actually took that as an opportunity to communicate with the FDA about our concerns and about why that's important. Um, and they obviously did in fact modify their statement. Um, but even, even since then, you've seen what the American Cancer Society has come out and said. And I think we, we, we can take those statements and we can publicize those and make it clear to policymakers, regulators around the country, as well as the rest of the media, that, uh, you know what, it's not industry saying these things, it's the FDA and the American Cancer Society saying there is no evidence. So um, let's move on and focus on things that actually do matter and that actually might contribute to the problem. I do agree. <laughs> I mean... It's been pretty bleak, Tony, out there uh, over the last four or five weeks, um, seeing this, the sheer amount of uh, stuff that's come out. Like, it just appears to me that anti-vaping, you know, vaping opponents, they just don't really have any boundaries. Yeah, well, that is true. I, 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 it is unfortunate that um, the, the folks that you're referring to seem to get away with skating uh, the truth with, in some cases, just fabricating, fabricating their statements, boiling everything down to the lowest common denominator. Um, <clears throat> and uh, the argument that they're making now is not a scientific argument because they don't have the science and they know they don't have the science. So they've resorted to making arguments such as, well, it's obvious. You don't want to put anything in your lungs uh, if, if, in fact, uh, you know, because of COVID-19. You know what? It's not obvious, and that's not the way science works, and that's certainly not the way public policy works, because if they were truly committed to that position, then they would be taking the obvious position vis-a-vis -vis any number of other types of products people are consuming um, that could possibly contribute to the underlying health conditions that have been so widely associated with COVID-19. But they're not doing that, and we know why they're not doing that. And that's just that's just the normal state of affairs that uh, for the way in which these groups operate. They have an agenda. They have tens, well, take that back, hundreds of millions of dollars at their disposal. They have an army of people that are willing to get up uh, and say virtually anything on TV that is moderately defensible because they may have a degree behind their name. Uh, and uh, and as we saw in the fall. Science be damned. So that's not that's not going to stop. So I don't get too worked up about this because I know that this is kind of the 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 reality in which we live, the the, the type of media with which we have to deal with in this country. Um, and so we just got to have to remain focused. And that's why, however you view what the FDA's original statement was, they made the clarification, and. Now we can work with that clarification. We can make sure that people understand uh, what the facts are. And uh, and I think without that, though, we're we're almost just screaming into the wind 
and that is a worse place to be in. So, do you think that? Uh, look, I'm going to be upfront. Our coverage has been clear on this since day one. We've we've called you know this COVID reaction overblown. That's our mm-hmm. editorial position, and it's mm-hmm. one that's been based on four years of covering public health. Yeah, the very same people, the very same organizations. Sure. I don't know how anybody who is a vapor can believe the CDC uh, because, you know, from, from six months of the lying to all of a sudden just, you know, sheepishly following to me is just too much. But that's that's our editorial position It's for something else for another day. But sure. however, you know, we're still asking vapors to believe a lot, to believe that that there is a. A, a, a valid partner on the other side of the table. How is that possible? Because they don't seem to even agree that, they, that, that there is such a thing as tobacco harm reduction. They had a problem when it was snooze before vaping was even created. And they clearly, you know, are obstinate about tobacco, you know, as a harm, excuse me, tobacco harm reduction. So if that's the case, how do we move them? It seems to me that there's an entrenched attitude amongst these public health people, which we see in the COVID reaction, but let's just keep it on vaping. How do we get around that? Isn't it just like the elephant in the room now? Well, I mean, let, let's talk about who, focus on who we're talking about first, right? And when I answer the question, there are groups that we will never change their minds. Many of those groups have uh, well-known um, acronyms behind their names. They're the large public health groups that have their own motivations for uh, and own agenda that they are pursuing. And and we see that play out, particularly at times like this, uh, and, and as we saw in the fall, uh, because of the fact that they, uh, had a, and they have a belief, they have an agenda, and they are leveraging their position to execute that agenda. Um, when you move away from science, then, you know, you, you lose, you, yes, you do lose that credibility. So the question becomes, how big is your megaphone? And they have big megaphones because they have big dollars uh, to put behind those megaphones. And they also have, to a certain extent, a uh, significant amount of credibility uh, amongst me- you know, the, the general public because of who they are. So you know, we are clearly fighting an uphill battle, but we have always been fighting an uphill battle, and we will always be fighting an uphill battle uh, until we get these products into a regulated state um, uh, and under the review uh, by by the FDA, and you know you know the real positions that some of these groups uh, and and their real beliefs when they start arguing for the fact that they don't really want these products being regulated under the PMTA process. So even PMTA, the most onerous, rigorous, uh, costly uh, review process uh, that they have been demanding right, that uh, uh, companies fall under for years, even that is not enough in, in, in some of their more recent statements. So usually folks like this ultimately get outed in the sense that their real intentions uh, are, are, are laid bare. Uh, and that's part of our job, is to make their real intentions laid bare. And overstepping with respect to COVID-19, as 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 salacious as it seems and as attractive as it seems for them to try to go for the for the for the uh, knockout punch on this industry, which is, I believe, what they're trying to do with respect to COVID-19, they could miscalculate here and they could overstep um, because uh, of, of what science may ultimately prove. So uh, so the knockout punch, see- that's very, that's a pretty, pretty precise actual analysis there, Tony. I appreciate actually Look, we, that we sustained we sustained to extend the the metaphor some you know a serious body blow in the fall. There's no question about that. Uh, I, I cannot even begin to tell you the 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 millions of dollars that it took for us to fight back against that those those punches. And they were strong punches, right? They had not only panic on their side, they had fear on their side. They had in some cases what they believed to be science on their side. They had a willingness to conflate products uh, um, on their side. So, yeah, it was a very, very difficult time. Um, I've never been through anything like it. Uh, I, I think this period is, is a little different. I don't think it has risen to the same level of fervor. Uh, I, and I think that, and I'm, and I'm hopeful that 
the folks that are already pushing back on this issue are making it clear that you don't want to overstep here if you're in the public health community. Uh, and I think that there are so many other pieces to worry about. They can capitalize on a crisis just as good as anybody, uh, but I think they're also going to be a little bit more sensitive to taking full advantage of this crisis the way that they tried to do in the fall, particularly because they were proven wrong. Every one of them was proven wrong uh, in terms of their statements. Uh, and at some point in the future, uh, it will be made clear what they knew and when they knew it. But for now, that doesn't matter. For now, we need to remain focused. We need to remain focused on, on the mission. We need to remain focused on the message and make sure that our industry remains vibrant and engaged. And, and, th and that's what we're doing. So, Tony, I've got uh, we're going to just see here if it if it plays OK. Um, first, I'll just going to go over here and show a still shot. This is of a uh, piece coming out of WUSA 9, which is the CBS affiliate in Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about CBS here, you know, and we're talking about Washington, D.C. So this is the kind of messaging. This is April 13th. So this is last week. And they're running a verify uh, episode. Could vaping put you at greater risk, risk of severe illness during coronavirus. I've got the clip. It was startling uh, to me when, when, when I watched it because it is last week. It is CBS and it's Washington, D.C. So when you're just going like, if this is what, you know, the people, the bureaucrats and, 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 and politicians are seeing in their evening newscast or their morning newscast, it's, it's troubling. So let's see here if we can get this working right. And get one second. No, we're going to do it from the other way. Hold on, Tony. Sorry about that. No worries. I had I had the distinct feeling that all of the work that we spent uh, putting that together uh, right before air was not going to pan out. It's unbelievable. Okay, then it's right here though. Just make sure we have audio. The Verify team is committed to separating fact from fiction and sticking to the truth. There has been a lot reported on the link between smoking and COVID-19. An early study out of Wuhan, China showed that of those that got pneumonia, smokers tended to get more sick. That led a viewer to ask us to verify could people who vape be at a higher risk for COVID-19. To find out, our researchers spoke with the director of the National Institute on Drug <coughs> Abuse and the director of the tobacco treatment clinic at Johns Hopkins. Their answer? Yes, you are definitely more at risk of having more severe symptoms if you catch COVID-19. Now we should note, this virus is still very new, and so there haven't been any specific studies on those who vape and have COVID-19. But our experts say that there's definitely enough info out there that we should all take precautions. Our other expert, Dr. Volkoff, backs us all up saying vaping makes your lungs more vulnerable to pulmonary diseases. That puts vapors in a higher risk category. We don't have the luxury of time. We cannot wait until one year from now we have all of the randomized trials that document. <clears throat> we need to be prudent. And even though the evidence is not there, it's much better to be cautious. So we can verify, yes, our health experts agree that if infected, vapors could be at a higher risk of having severe symptoms from COVID-19. Yeah, so a bunch there. Let me just preface this with yeah. the, what the last doctor there said. The experts uh, was basically the precautionary principle. And for the four years that RegWatch has been droning on and on about precautionary principle, hoping people would understand how it's the, it's the death of you know, life itself. It truly is. And that's what it is. We don't have the science, but we have an idea of risk. And based on that, we're going to take your liberty away. And that's what she said, and that's a-okay. Well, the biggest problem with all, all those statements is that they, they just talk about vaping in the abstract, right? And they don't talk about it in the context of smoking. And if you ask these folks, uh, would you rather that they, they be vaping or smoking, their answer may differ. Now, perhaps not, uh, not the first doctor, but, but, but it, is, it is one of the biggest concerns, and it's the first thing that we brought up to FDA when their initial statement came out. Right. One of the things that we've made clear is that you have to keep these things in context. 
Uh, more importantly, that same message was delivered by Attorney General Tom Miller, David Abrams, uh, Ray Naurora, and a number of other uh, well-known uh, researchers and public health and public policy experts, including Clive Bates, and a letter that they wrote to the FDA, particularly on this issue. And one of the things that they pointed out was that particularly in these times that you, as a public health official, you have to speak in term, in, in context. And people need to understand uh, that whatever your statement is regards to vaping, what happens if you are a smoker? Because if you want people to go back to smoking, that is a, a particularly larger problem that, that I believe they would all agree is not something that they wanted to do. Remember, it took quite some time in the fall for the CDC to come around and finally say, hey, we don't want you to go back to smoking. That's not what we're saying. So this is the low-hanging fruit. It's, 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 and, and, and they're the easy stories to, to run. Uh, and what is very interesting, for example, is that when Bloomberg wrote a follow-up story on this very issue, they, they did not cite the FDA statement that the FDA had given them. Instead, they cited Dr. Volko from, uh, from NIDA uh, because it fit their story. It fits their narrative. Now, um, again, that is, yes, in a word, depressing. We hate to see that kind of media out there, but it's going to happen. And so that's why we are, have been arming up and we've been pushing back at every and, oh, Before you go there, because because I want to go to the URAD and I want to move that conversation into the fight. So before we do yep. that, I don't want to have to come back uh, to, the bad, to the yep. bad thing here. So just help me understand... Yep. Whether or not, I two things. One, this is Washington, D.C. This is last week. This is a major, this is network uh, uh, news. How, I mean, how, I mean, how could this be happening? Uh, because it's under verify. So they're basically saying this is truth. This is a truth checker piece. And we're checking the truth. And this is the truth. So, I mean, is there not some way that that can be fought fought against a little bit? I, I'm, I'm not saying, I mean, everybody has their free speech, but you can't say something is truth when there's clearly a debate. And then no. second is the being in Washington, and it is the truth, the verify. I mean, isn't it, isn't it just sheer propaganda to be, you know, uh, propagandizing like that to the Washington establishment? Yeah, but again, again I, I don't want to downplay it. It is important. But don't forget, I mean, most of the House was out, right? They've, right? they've been at home. They come back in to take a big vote, right? So who knows how many people are actually watching the local news at this point, right. uh, particularly when everybody is already binge-watching everything else. Sure. Local news is probably one of the last things. The media is going to say what they want. They have great license to say what they want. Uh, and nobody's going to hold them accountable other than we do call and we do push back uh, when we see these stories. We do have our, our team call these reporters and push out actual statements and facts so that if they didn't get it the first time, the next time they're going to at least include a contrary quote. That's a story that should never have been run without some sort of, 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 of counterpoint, right? right? They should have talked to somebody on the other side. Uh, and that's and I think people now realize and understand that that kind of journalism is not journalism at all. It's it's, it's the news retainment uh, part of, uh, of that's become part of the news, even even in uh, local and regional news. Yeah. And I've seen that verify kind of approach in uh, several different markets. It's probably a CBS thing. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a pitchfork kind of guy. Right. I, I think we're, we're at the pitchfork time here. And so and I know that you are. But. You know, I I laugh about it, but geez, like when are we gonna you know storm the beaches here a little bit? And and I see that local uh, CBS station as a very interesting place to go hang for a lunch, a well, couple there, thousand look, people. There, there are um, well, you have to be careful because if you start advocating that, we'll I just have, said lunch. I said lunch. There'll be too many. There'll be too many options, right? Too many, too many, too many places for people to go in and protest, but. I, I think those stories do get, I mean, the vaping community is, is is a remarkable community. The people in this community are committed to the product that I've told every regulator I've spoken to because this product has changed their life. That's why they're so uh, defensive and protective of the product. That's why they're so protective of their right to continue to use the product because it has changed their life. So, um, you know, what's what's good is that 
these types of, 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 of media stories uh, on Facebook on, and, and, other, and other places are, are getting lit up by, by vapors, excuse the pun, mm-hmm. um, but they're getting lit up uh, in terms of the inaccuracy of the coverage. So there's that, always that organic uh, messaging that, that, that happens. And then what we do using uh, our teams is to do it in, in a Sorry, uh, that was uh, I was just queuing up oh, your your thing. Please yep, continue. Yeah, and then and then we then what then when we have other opportunities uh, when we're messaging directly to um, either the White House when we're messaging directly to members of Congress when we're messaging directly to governors or to members of the state legislature is we we put the facts on on display uh, and then in case in in, in situations like uh, in Florida. We take the opportunity uh, to 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 actually go on television to constantly reiterate the message that vaping is a good alternative to smoking. So, uh, and I've got and that queued up to you. If you if you we can talk yeah. about it. Sounds great. Awesome. A crisis. Florida's economy crippled One by second. the virus. Now. Senate Bill 810 banning flavored vapor heads to the governor. If it becomes law, 4,500 jobs lost. It's not audio is not getting out. Hold on. A crisis. Florida's economy crippled by the virus. Now, Senate Bill 810 banning flavored vapor heads to the governor. If it becomes law, 4,500 jobs lost. 800 small businesses closed. Gone forever. What's worse? This flavor ban eliminates already regulated products that help millions quit smoking. Tell Governor DeSantis, veto Senate Bill 810. Don't create another public health crisis by sending Floridians back to cigarettes and to the black market. So I'm going to do something here, Tony, that I like to do, and because nobody else a does crisis. that, is actually play something twice. It's only 30 seconds. So you, everybody had a first chance to grab an idea of what this was, and now let's listen to it again. Okay. A crisis. Florida's economy crippled by the virus. Now, Senate Bill 810 banning flavored vapor heads to the governor. If it becomes law, 4,500 jobs lost. 800 small businesses closed. Gone forever. What's worse, this flavor ban eliminates already regulated products that help millions quit smoking. Tell Governor DeSantis, veto Senate Bill 810. Don't create another public health crisis by sending Floridians back to cigarettes and to the black market. Strong piece, very strong. I think the question obviously is, is that isn't COVID-19 doing to vaping uh, what flavor bans couldn't do? Well, we certainly saw that in New York. <clears throat> it doesn't because, matter that 20 uh, doctors have told you it's all in your uh, head. The administration there cardiothoracic surgeon Stephen Gundry says he solved the weight loss mystery. It has been for some time. You really have changed the way I think about what I eat. Best book I've seen on diet ever. You did all this research. You were 70 pounds heavy. What did you change? What did you stop eating? What did you start eating? So I used to be 70 pounds overweight. And that litigation actually... Uh, continued up until basically this just this past week. Uh, and what was interesting is that it was clear then that the um, administration in New York was um, dead set on getting a flavor ban passed. Uh, they thought they had their way in the fall, but they overreached. Uh, and the court said no. And then the appellate court had said no. And then it went back to the trial court, and which upheld the um, uh, restraining order, which is so that lawsuit that we filed and the restraining order that we got kept the market in New York open from September or October. I can't remember exactly when it was entered, all the way up and all the way up to the present. Um, but you are correct. There is no question that the administration leveraged the COVID-19 uh, fear uh, with respect to vaping to push through a flavor ban, which of course. It's exactly what we said in the fall. Flavors really have nothing to do with either one of these particular health concerns, right? Flavors are only a segment of the industry, a large segment of our industry, but not the entire product. So there's no logic, there's no rationale to why you would ban flavors in response to if you truly believe that there is a as a as a health crisis on on, on your hands. So uh, so in that sense, you're correct. They took full advantage of the crisis, took full advantage of the fact that people were not able to lobby the legislature in the same way that they were before. 
We were working exceptionally hard on it behind the scenes in a number of different ways. But uh, this one was, uh, this, in this particular case, if it wasn't for COVID-19, I don't think New York would have, have a, would have a flavor ban today. I think uh -huh. we would have been successful in defeating it. Uh, and that's really unfortunate. And as you know, that was signed immediately by the governor. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, the litigation, like I said, uh, we had we had them stopped uh, in the courts on the first one. Uh, and this one is, is different because of the circumstances in which it was passed. And it's going to be extremely difficult um, if, to, to overturn one of these kinds of flavor bans uh, because of the nature of the, the process. And I know that people are concerned about and question the process itself, whether it was constitutional or not. But I assure you, we are looking at that issue very carefully. And if we believe that there was um, something viable, we, we take on the fight. We're not afraid of taking on those fights. We did it. Uh, and, and we've been successful, uh, particularly in New York and other states as well. So uh, New, York, I, I, New York could be lost, is what you're saying, for as long as there's a Democratic governor? Yeah, I, I think that there, and a lot of it depends, as far as flavors go, yes. Um, and <clears throat> I think I mean, there is a carve out uh, in, the, in the law with, with an exceptions for products that go through PMTA. So any, any products that go through PMTA and with flavors and um, get, get a marketing order from FDA will be, will be, could, could be sold. Um, so, but the period of time in which those flavors are banned is, is significant and, and, and will dramatically affect the industry, which was, which was our clear message. We had a very aggressive messaging campaign going on in New York, um, and, uh, and it, it just turned out to be not enough given the circumstances because of who was really driving this particular issue. Um, but like I said earlier, if it wasn't for the crisis and, and and forces taking advantage of the crisis, I don't think this flavor ban would have uh, would have stood up. And then with regard to Florida and the ad, which is again a yeah. great ad. So Thank what's you. happening there in terms? You know, obviously you're spending some money there, so you think there's an opportunity, a chance to maybe. Yeah, it's a very different situation there, right? Um, and uh, and 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 that's why you have to understand the politics as well as the policy uh, of what's happening in each one of these states. But um, in Florida, uh, the, the flavor ban kind of came about quickly at the end of session. Uh, we had been working against it very aggressively. We had an alternative on the table in terms of a regulatory bill. We were working hand in hand with our state group, the Florida Smoke Free Association, which has done remarkable and outstanding work and is still doing outstanding work uh, on the issue. Um, and I think that, you know, once it got traction and passed near the end of session, you know, we always look at these opportunities and say, okay, what can we do in terms of a veto? Because that is always, always an opportunity. We looked at this situation and we said, you know, there is an opportunity here. Uh, now, particularly even more so, given the adverse economic impact that this float ban will have on the Florida economy, the numbers are staggering, right? <clears throat> Over 800 small businesses are going to be affected if not closed. And as we point out, these, these businesses or jobs will not come back. All the handouts, all the PPP programs in the world from the federal government are not going to be able to keep these, get these companies back if flavors are actually banned, because that is the overwhelming bulk of, uh, of, of their inventory. So there, there is no real model. And we made this argument to the president of the United States in the fall. And, 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 and they understood it. They understood it at the White House and they understood the implications that this would have on the economy um, as well as on public health if they were to pursue it. Uh, I think that politically in Florida, we're in a similar situation uh, where the governor now has to grapple with the fact that his state is being, is being dramatically affected. And the ultimate question is, is does he want to be the one to have separate and apart from COVID-19 ensured that this industry won't come back, that, that 4,500 jobs would be lost, 800 businesses um, uh, would be affected if not outright closed, um, and that 600 and plus million dollar economic, negative economic impact would hit the Florida economy. This is not the time. We made a similar argument uh, in New York <clears throat> in the waning days of session, trying to explain to the administration that while they are talking about having a 59 to $15 billion hole that they were gonna to have to fill, 
they were making that hole bigger by banning flavors because as in Florida, the total economic loss by banning all flavors, according to our economists uh, in New York, was going to be uh, close to $900 million. Wow. So, um, but as you can see, people with different political perspectives, different views on the importance of the economy may act differently. So we're hopeful that uh, Governor DeSantis hears that message uh, and hears the message from the thousands of, of Floridians that have already reached out to him. Uh, and, um, and and that's why we, we took that important step there. So people let's, may remember. Oh, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I was going to, well, I was going to, I was going to pull us into the politics again for a second. So why don't you finish that that point? Yeah, this this actually fits, I think, nicely within that. Um, you know, it's important for folks to remember where we were, and you know, one of the reasons, another one of the reasons I am optimistic about where we're headed, is because we know what works. We know what works, particularly with respect to this issue, even in the most dire circumstances, which is where we were last fall when the president of the United States announced he was banning all flavors. You know, we put together a strategy and a plan that involved digital marketing, a digital campaign uh, that was connected directly to rallies uh, to make sure that the right people were going to see those messages and hear those messages that had never been done before. Uh, we then went on TV with our first ad um, uh, in the fall, which made it clear that vaping, banning flavors was a bad idea that vaping is a safer alternative to smoking. We then got on TV with the first political ad uh, that was out there, uh, the first I Vape, I Vote ad, uh, where we had our team fly to Ohio, interview shop owners, vapers, who were committed to this segment to speak directly to the President of the United States. Uh, it was a very compelling ad as well. Um, and then, of course, we, we did the polling data where well, we commissioned a poll of over 4,400 vapors, adult vapors, who told the story about what would happen to a candidate or a politician who banned flavors. And they made, they told a very, they set, made a very clear picture that vapors as a voting block um, are to the tune of 82% likely to become single issue voters. And that they are much more likely to the tune of 90 plus percent to vote against a candidate who bans flavors. Right. Uh, I think I've got that right here. Is this, yeah, can you see that? That's great. That is exactly, yeah, that's exactly what I was talking about. And, and what's interesting is that this is not, as that, gra that picture shows, this isn't an indifference. This is a strong support for this position. Um, and, by contrast, that's the same group of people are also in favor of sound regulation, which is what the second graph shows that 92% say banning or raising the age to 21 is a smarter policy. So it is extremely important that we were able to put this data and, and real uh, information together because we were able to share it with, with, with the right folks so that they understood the political importance of these decisions. And before anybody criticizes uh, anybody on politics, we know that every member of Congress, every member of a legislature, they make every decision, almost every decision, in part based upon politics. That's so why they're there. Yeah, that's why they're there, exactly. And so that's partly my concern. So we take a look at this graph that we had, which is from your, the Battleground Survey. And yeah. how likely are you to vote for or against a candidate based solely on his or her position on nicotine vapor products and issues? And this is what really struck President Trump and his team uh, deeply was seeing that 83 um, yeah. percent. And then, of course, you know, in the battleground state. So coming from that, though, with COVID, things have got to be changing. I, I would think that it, it's not as much of the prime issue uh, as much. And then let me ask this. Is it time for vapors to extend out and realize that maybe their battle is similar to other battles that are going on? I, I, what I'm trying to get at is that we've got all these Democratic governors who tried to institute, in some cases did, flavor bans last fall uh, using the pretext of uh, Evali, which we know was a complete you know, deception, uh, mm -hmm. to put it mildly. 
yeah. then here we are again in the same situation. And now we have these exact same governors putting in the most draconian measures on their population. Um, and it's for some of them, I, I mean, I don't even think that it, it could still be months before that gets sorted out with a lot of acrimony. So aren't we at the position where our vapors really one issue voters that's just about nicotine vaping or should they not be thinking that they're one issue voters and that should be about liberty? Well, there's a strong, um, at least what I've, what I've uh, perceived, there is a strong thread of what you're referring to, liberty, uh, that goes into um, uh, the discussion around vaping. Uh, what, what should individuals be allowed to do in terms of making choices for themselves? And there is so plenty of hypocrisy uh, amongst uh, politicians uh, in, in who, who are opposed to vaping, but yet are happy to, to champion liberty, for example, in other contexts. But I think as however vapors do respond, one of the things that is made clear, at least by the data and the polling that we've done thus far, is that this is an issue that they are going to watch intensely. There may be other, other issues uh, that involve liberty uh, and, and choice that they might feel similarly on, but the question is, is what, will the, what will motivate them? And as I was mentioning earlier, the, the thing that I tell any member of Congress or any member of a state legislature is that people are actually motivated because, again, this product has changed their life. People don't get this worked up and don't get this engaged organically over their cell phones, for example, right? Over any other consumer product. Uh, very good, I mean, very good point. That's totally true. Right. So, and this has been the unique aspect of this industry, and it has been part of the manner in which I personally have kind of thought through the kinds of, of, of strategies that may be helpful uh, and, and in terms of pushing our agenda, always knowing that industry plays a major role in, in, in changing the narrative. But the big difference that this industry has that other industries don't and that other industries actually have to manufacture is this organic commitment from real people all across the United States who have made the decision that this product is worth getting out of their house for, worth getting off the couch for, worth going to a state legislative hearing or a city council hearing or flying all the way to Washington, D.C., like we did in September of last year when we took 200 small business owners to Capitol Hill the week, less literally one week after the president made his announcement that uh, he was going to ban all flavors. That type of commitment and motivation, the same motivation that you saw when thousands upon thousands of people stopped what they were doing, left their jobs, and flew to Washington, D.C. in November for the uh, United Vapors Alliance rally. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is the kind of stuff that doesn't happen in any other industries. And frankly, it's the secret weapon of this of this industry uh, when when uh, when folks like that take action. So this problem ultimately will be addressed in one way or another at the polls because people will remember the positions taken by their legislators on issues that are that they have claimed and and believe are this important to themselves. There's no two ways around it. So. Um, whether, whether you're, you're referring to pitchforks or whether you're referring to simply people actually speaking out, being heard, and being active, that is going to be the difference, I believe, uh, for this entire segment going forward. So what's the plan in terms of from, you know, managing the fight, so to speak, or the activation? What's the plan to be able to do that, Tony? What's, I mean, what, how, how difficult is that with obviously must be a strain on resources for VTA and obviously other associations. RegWatch, of course, has been hit too as well. Sure. Um, so, I mean, what's the game plan? Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you hit the nail right on the head. I mean, we have, we, we like any other entity or any other um, organization is, is having to tighten its belt, like significantly. We had, because of what we built last year, because of the success that we had last year, 
you know, we, we had we had built big plans for for this year, bigger than we've ever had before. And every year, we've always set out a marker, always had a uh, set out significant plans, and we've always achieved that. Last year was was a remarkable challenge for us. There's no question about it. And yet we rose to the task. Um, we took on the biggest lawsuits <clears throat> that that we could, and we spent millions of dollars. I don't know if people realize that, um, uh, trying to defend the, the against these executive bans and executive flavor bans in multiple states. Uh, we did the same thing, preparing uh, and believing that the FDA might, in fact, or the administration might, in fact, ban flavors. Um, had that rule actually come down, we were ready to walk into court on day one. Um, that is how serious we took the threat, and that's how serious we took the importance of being prepared to take on the threat. Um, so there's clearly some overhang from that in terms of uh, in terms of the economic hit that we took, uh, but also we armed up this year for the state legislatures. Uh, now the whole state legislative picture has changed dramatically because COVID has literally shut down many. Uh, if not most of the sessions. Some may come back. It's still an open question. Some may just adjourn early and, and be done for the rest of the year. Um, so we are finding ourselves in the same position as virtually every other entity. We are we are forced to re-examine kind of our priorities and, and, and how we're going to tighten our belt to achieve our objectives. Um, but we also know that we are actually at, I believe, the best time we could possibly be in terms of effectuating change. And let me let me tell you why. Um, the, the After living through and fighting through what we fought through in the fall, we now know the strategy. We now know a game plan that works. Uh, we now know the, the key components. And frankly, in many sec sec sectors that are relevant to the ultimate decisions on how our products are going to be regulated, um, People understand the dynamics. They understand the issue better than ever. The fact that this issue was raised to the level of the president of the United States, not by us, but by others, attempting to basically strike a final blow against this industry, actually has worked out in part to our favor. We would never have had a meeting in the White House with, the, with all of the stakeholders in this industry present if this issue hadn't been forced on the Oval Office by our opponents. So given that, we have an opportunity now to speak and be heard on this issue in a way that we may never have had before. Now, you take that and you look at the future. We now have had the PMTA deadline extended to September. Um, <clears throat> so that now is somewhat of a benefit for the industry, even though obviously the industry itself is uh, still under enormous pressure and challenge uh, because of COVID-19, but it does at least give a little bit of a pressure release um, between now and September. But it also gives us an opportunity to message even stronger and even harder. And I think that having this discussion now, being able to show what the vaping industry is doing in terms of being part of the solution and not part of the problem, being able to be uh, part is going to be, I think, an important strategy going forward. And so we have plans that we have prepared. I'm obviously not going to talk about them here publicly, but um, but those plans are based upon an understanding of where we've been, kind of where the, the, the government is right now, and also kind of where we believe we can go. Not to mention the fact that significant changes have been made. The age is now 21 in the United States, right? That is a one of the biggest indicators of how the youth issue uh, can be addressed. And that, that's come out of the mouths of all the public health experts, even though now they like to say, eh, it's the first step. Uh, but also flavors have been banned in a major segment of the marketplace. Um, but by having that limited in the way that it was, it also preserved all of the open system companies to, that we represent to continue to uh, prepare for PMTA, to continue to sell products and make them available to smokers and former smokers around the country. Tony, Those let me, two developments are huge. 
Yeah, and, and let me just make sure that you know, put it in a clean spot here as we're ramping up, as we're getting, we're on the hour now, so we've got a couple of minutes okay. left. With okay. PMTA, this move uh, to September, I mean, is that locked in? Uh, what can we expect? Because obviously with September being there and the timing on that, it's running right up to the presidential election. And, you know, that means, you know, people might vote orange man if they're th pro-vaping uh, or not. I don't know how anybody who's pro-vaping could vote Democrat. That's just, you know, my position. But September, what kind of sure. opportunities could be made uh, with the presidential election? Well, you, you, I think you make a, a very insightful point there. Um, the decisions that will be made in the next few months uh, on our issue are going to play themselves out over the course of the summer and the fall. So what happens next um, is, is going to be, is going to lay down a marker in terms of the position and the approach that this administration is going to take with respect to this product segment. Uh, and people, as I said earlier, will react to that. So the fact that the PMTA deadline is now, well, it will be September 9, as soon as the district court formally enters the order um, that it said it was going to enter extending the deadline, um, which again, we expect to happen any day now. Um, that, uh, but the fact that we will be able to message and communicate on this issue uh, will up through the summer and into the fall, I think will will give us that ability to also make sure it is understood and it becomes much more relevant to uh, decision makers um, what happens at the polls, especially as they get closer and closer to the polls. Is there going to be a big effort uh, that was, I mean, it was definitely vapor led, right? Which, you know, was around, you know, we vape, we vote. That was in between presidential elections, but there was a, a push, you know, Ron Johnson was talked about a lot there in Wisconsin for some of his support back in 2016. I mean, can we, can we expect that there will be a big vapor push, you know, grassroots uh, effort to try to get behind electing local candidates that, you know, are supporting vaping? Is that what we can see, do you think? That, that you know what, I honestly haven't given that at the local level much thought. I'm sure that there will be some uh, candidates that will, will run. Uh, I know up in South Dakota, um, there is a shop owner who's now running up there um, for um, state Senate. And I believe that there are others that will, will, will think about doing the same thing. But I think the real, the real interesting aspect is what's going to happen at the national level, what's going to happen with this issue in the United States Senate, and what's going to happen with this issue with respect to um, the, uh, the presidential election. Um, and there's a lot, I believe, riding um, on, this, on, on the outcome of that election. And, uh, but the most important aspect of this is that we need to get in place and the, the regulations that will guide this process going forward. And we need to have our products as an industry under review because once they get under review, we become much more impervious to attack uh, from the other side. Doesn't right. mean they're gonna stop attacking. They're always gonna attack. Let's, we, we know that. Uh, but it makes it much harder for them uh, to make their attacks if, in fact, we are already being reviewed. So uh, we're going to continue to message and, and, and push uh, for, for changes that allow a diverse array of products to remain in the market, because that is the ultimate, uh, the ultimate goal here. We need to have a diverse marketplace. We need to have a variety of flavors. We need to have a variety of products available that can sustain this independent distribution system, which is and are the vape shops. It is such a unique distribution system. It is what differentiates us from other industries. Um, and it creates opportunities uh, for the future in terms of pursuing tobacco harm reduction um, that, that we think are ex so important. Let me, ask you, let me ask you about that as you bring up uh, uh, the distribution. What yep. are we, what's happened with the supply chain? Because that's the other side of distribution. So with COVID uh, being what it is, you know, how disrupted is that supply chain with China? Is it coming back? I mean, how much of a weak, weak link is that? Not because it's China, just, you know, because of the effort, you know, the impact from COVID. Yeah, I, I, <clears throat> there's no question that there's been dramatic impacts on the supply chain. I was just talking to uh, a major distributor um, that said that they have orders in their warehouse that need to be 
to be met, but they don't have the people to, to actually get them out the door. Uh, and they've been sitting there. So there's no question that supply chain. And then if you go down to the vape shop level, many places vape shops have been closed. Some have been have have been able to sell online. Some have been able to um, do curbside delivery. Uh, but uh, it clearly has significantly limited the ability to move product uh, and, and and get product out uh, to the ultimate consumer, uh, the vaping community. And so is the those, product coming from China okay? Well, that that's. I mean, same same types of they had the same types of problems um, because they were shut down, um, you know, earlier than we are. We were, so their shutdown has now has now started to lift. They're back online. They're they're obviously manufacturing product, um, but again, they have to have a public to sell to in the United States. They have to have a a, a smooth distribution chain to get product through. So um, we're all on the verge of making a comeback. And I think that that's kind of where we look at we look at ourselves. We're not just making a comeback as an association because we have been leading the fight, um, but really we are on the verge of, I think, being incredibly successful given all of the issues that we've discussed, given the politics, given the, the role that this industry can play in an economic resurgence, um, given the small business message uh, that 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 we have have made so strongly. Um, so, I and and I, and I truly believe, as we believed in the fall, that the science will follow, uh, and will be proven right again. And and just one more of the of the you know more tougher questions or not. I, I'm not certain sure. it before we because I do want to end with you know the up message, if there is one. Is the PMTA itself now? It's getting pushed to September. I mean, we're still talking about industry killer. I mean, everywhere you turn and look, there's an industry killer for vaping. I mean, they've really got this game stacked, right? So, I mean, are, I know that we've heard uh, of some shops that have come together around some strong kind of advocates that have been doing some communal, communal community kind of PMTA applications. Do I mean, do we know, like, is any of that stuff going to work? I mean, is there going to be a vaping industry uh, it, from just the PMTA itself? Yeah, I, I think that I think that there will be. Uh, I think that you know we. It's funny because I I've often said what you just said, which is that we we just have to be done with these existential threats. I mean, we can't wake up every month and literally have an existential threat. I've I've never worked on an issue or with an industry that has this many existential threats. That said, we're we're survivors, right? We 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 literally are survivors, and we are fighters in ways that. Uh, that we shouldn't be this successful. And th this is, again, we are outspent by a huge factor, a huge factor. We are out-coordinated by, you know, a huge factor. And yet, we are successful in the efforts that we have maintained. We're not everything. We're not going to win every fight. We could not win New York despite the efforts, despite the fact that we kept it open from September until this week, or I guess until mid-May mid in terms of the selling of flavors. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that we have these opportunities to take. The PMTA process is the start of the regulation of this industry. FDA is going to be challenged in ways I believe it has never been challenged. It's going to receive a wide variety of applications, I believe. It's going to see a number of applications from uh, that are, as, as you were, I think, alluding to, creative. Uh, and we are going to continue to use this time between now and September to push FDA to look at alternative ways to take in the information, to process the information, to more fairly address the information, and review it quickly and get these products on the marketplace with marketing orders so that the questions can be removed from the segment so that the product itself can fulfill um, its ultimate purpose in the marketplace. So, what about the removal of the Center for Tobacco Products uh, idea that's been floated by the president? Is there some, you know, could that happen? And if it did, would that be a benefit? So I don't, I don't know if it was floated by the president, just to be clear. I think somebody in the administration said, brought that up. Um, <clears throat> 
it's hard to tell whether that was um, there were a lot of statements being made, if you remember, yeah. during that period of time. So it's hard to tell whether that that is a serious consideration. Um, I think that 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 thought process was is very interesting, particularly today, given the challenges, right, that FDA is having to deal with true public health pandemics. Um, and so it does raise the question as to kind of what is FDA, what should be FDA's focus. That's an entirely different discussion. Uh, but I think that from our perspective, um, the importance is, the question is whether FDA is going to be flexible in the way that it implements the regulations themselves, whether it's going to issue guidance that allows companies to kind of achieve the overall objectives without necessarily having um, uh, not having this this kind of black and white approach. And I think that there are so many companies that are focused on this, and I think it's really important for uh, uh, for folks in our industry to recognize that there are many, many companies that are committed to this process and are spending significant funds on this process because they are committed to this industry uh, and they are committed to the future. So our plan is to be here in the future. Our plan is to leverage what we have today, the successes that we've had. Um, but we, there's no question that we need help. Uh, we cannot continue to operate and, and, and continue to punch above our weight uh, if, if you know, more than one hand is tied behind our back. That's not a fair fight. So as long as, as we can raise the resources to have a fair fight, we know that we can win. Well, that's such a great message. And Tony, thank you so much for taking the time today uh, to talk through all these issues. I mean, we took a little bit longer than I thought, but I, it was really important that we really got into it. Well, I, I do appreciate the opportunity and I appreciate you spending time on this issue. It is extremely important, um, as we've often said, not just to our national economy here in the United States, but also to the public health. Um, and I think that the more that we're talking about the, the role that these products play, that vapor products play, uh, the more that people will, will understand. I agree totally. Well, thanks again, Tony. Just stay right there for a moment. Well, that's it for this edition of RegWatch. Before you head off, please go over to support.regulatorwatch.com. That's support.regulatorwatch.com and consider making a financial contribution to our vaping coverage. It's easy. Just dig into your wallet and find a few dollars and toss them our way. Cough on them if you want to. We're pretty impervious over here. You'll be happy you did it and so will we. And while online, don't forget to like us on Facebook and to follow us on Twitter. For RegulatorWatch.com, I'm Brent Stafford. Hold on one second.